Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. The hang ups we have today. to episode 126 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very excited and happy to be joined by a brand new guest. We've never had you on before, Big Blue Drew Brown of A Sea of Blue, the Kentucky Dad Pod. He is all over the place, puts out fantastic content, and he is up here with me in New York City, and uh, we, we experienced this little little Champions Classic trip yeah. together. We had a good time, Drew. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. I appreciate the invite. No better time to make my debut on the Source of Say podcast than literal New York City. We're in the Big Apple. We just scarfed some pizza down. Um, it's always a late night with the Champions Classic, but yeah, I'm excited to jump into it, man, and I appreciate you having me on. It was... Uh, one heck of an event. It was one that we have been kind of, uh, I, I think of all of the adversity that we went through last year and, mm-hmm. and all of the frustration and the isolation of, of you know hearing about the players being kind of locked in their dorm rooms all season and having meals brought to their front door and not being able to talk uh, to each other and, and kind of their only 
reason to leave the room is to go to games and you know all the classes were virtual and all that so all of that horribleness and I, I mean on top of the 9 and 16 season and the losing side of it on top yeah. of all that but it felt like the build up for this moment was something that Kentucky fans deserved. I think college basketball fans Absolutely. deserve, but but after this year, particularly obviously the Terrence Clark situation, you know those all of these moments built up for last night. I think all the national media guys were here, Jack, and the same sentiment every time was just a big sigh of relief, excitement. It just felt like normalcy was back. That buzz was there. And you heard it over and over. We were um, we were shielded quite a bit, I think, from the the Coach K parade, and that was kind of the feel that I left with from the players, the coaches, the fans. You could just tell they were excited to be back after COVID, and obviously, it, you know, it doesn't get any b- bigger than bringing these four teams into Madison Square Garden for the first game of the season. I mean, we had every national media member you could possibly think of. We had practically the entire New York Knicks squad. We had mm-hmm. uh, celebrities everywhere you looked between media people, local uh, local talent, uh, you know, NBA players, former Kentucky Wildcats, parents, coaches, I mean scouts, everything. Yeah. They were all there. It was a it was quite the uh, the atmosphere and we got one heck of a show. It was one that uh, ultimately did not end up going in Kentucky's favor. Uh, Duke defeats the Wildcats 79-71. Drew, this was a a performance that I think Kind of a, a polarizing one. One that I think divided the fan base quite a bit. No, no, that yeah. never happens. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it isolated the fan, fan base quite a bit because I think there was this build-up and expectation after, as we said, last season's struggles and adversities that they just needed to get that that clean taste in their mouth. They got they had to get that, that winning feel again after everything they went through last season. And they didn't get that, and there were a lot of struggles, and there were a lot of clear flaws with this roster. But I think there was also the other half of the fan base that saw between the lines and saw the thing, the next level things that this team could work on, things that we knew about this team going into it. That that I mean, we knew that the front court issues were going to get exposed. We knew that Paolo was going to be Paolo, and we knew that Mark Williams was going to be a force at center. All those things that we knew about this squad going in, I think there were a lot of things that got confirmed with this team, but I think we also learned a lot of, of new things about this team, uh, how they learn how to, to adjust and, and uh, you know, compete when their backs are against the wall, fight when their backs are against the wall. What's mm-hmm. going to happen when Ty Ty Washington is struggling? What's going to happen when shots aren't falling or you have a, a superstar like Paolo on the other team? What you do to, to neutralize those type of things? I think it was – a big identity game for the for this team, and uh, I I came away more uh, cautiously optimistic about the long term uh, kind of growth of this team and expectation. I'm I'm very curious what your thoughts were going into this game, and now your expectations for the season. Now that you've seen them under the bright lights and of of Madison Square Garden. Well, I wish I could argue with you a little bit on my. F- first appearance on Sources Say Jack, but I agree with a lot of what you said. And and um, I've told this story several times, and we've done a lot in a short period of time, but I'll kind of answer this maybe from Coach Cal's perspective a little bit. I've never seen him act and operate the way that he was in pregame, from just clapping his hands, big smiles, pats on the back, at um, at least a few points, one major interaction with fans. I mean, we're talking just a few minutes before the game's going to start. He typically does not do things like that. It was so obvious to me, Jack, that he was trying to make sure his team was relaxed. 
He was trying to avoid 2018, coming out there and playing tight. And I could see it lift off everybody, the players, the coaches. Once about that under-16 timeout came in, I think they're like, okay, our guys are here, they're ready to play. And from my perspective, what I was looking for before the game, that was it. If they came out, they showed that they didn't buckle under these lights, that they were going to fight, which they, they sure as hell did, Jack. I mean, they left. I don't see how anybody could really – be upset with any form of effort or thinking that these guys weren't putting it all on the line because they were. Duke's just a really good team. And I'm after Friday and now, Jack, I'm kind of like, I know everybody, it's it's all about the front court and Oscar, which he played like an absolute beast. What do we do if Oscar's in foul trouble? But I'm getting to the point where Xavier Wheeler, where it's like the same thing, man. I mean, I don't know what you do without that guy if he's not out there making things happen because he's just, he's so consistent and I just feel like he's going to be an extremely important part to this team as well. So getting Ty Town track will be a major thing, but I left nothing but encouraged. Yeah, I, th- I think it was really telling. Uh, you were there at the postgame press conference with me, and uh, you could see when John Calipari walked into the room, there was a level of confidence. Mm-hmm. There was a – he was – the way he sat down and he kind of wrapped his arms around Oscar and Jacob Toppin – and, like, he was kind of patting him on the shoulder, and he started throwing jokes. He started doing the stupid dog. Yeah. Oh, is that a dog? He's, born, that he's just born for these moments. But, like it's... but if there was no sign of defeat with mm-hmm. him, and I think that was something that really uh, – that was that lingered with me because I, after last season – I mean, you, you were on those Zoom calls with, with Cal after games last year where he just looked disheveled and just – so confused and like how the hell did we get to this point where you know he kind of had some answers earlier in the year and then as the losses started piling up and and the way that UK lost last season the they if they found a new way to lose every single game and they they reached a point where he was just like man I got nothing I got nothing and you could tell I was kind of hoping to see a, a very clear um, you know expectation on his end as well uh, get a vibe for him and, and how he was was kind of feeling after the game and I think it was really clear that the way he was laughing and joking on himself and telling stories and cutting people off and be like well yeah. you're wrong there I don't yeah. know why you blah 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 Cal was back to his normal Cal and you could tell that he really likes this team I think he's he's going he's embracing the process with this team uh, more so than you know after after last season I think that that in particular is something that he's really enjoying is is the process side of things I want to say that he's changing his approach a little with this team but part of me Jack wants to say maybe it's just how this team is being receptive to the what he's bringing to them because he's always been players first and I'm telling you you really get those sense of things when you're down there close to the games of like that team they wanted to win and I know that sounds silly but there's a difference in wanting to win and you're leaning forward on the bench you got your hands on your knees you're patting your knees you're really wanting your teammates to do well. I saw a very um, cohesive plan, even though um, this might come off wrong to guard Bancaro, because it was Toppin and Brooks, and they were helping each other, and I really appreciated that. I think that either of them would have been fine with the other having success if it meant Kentucky won, and um, th- that to me is big. And I-, I think Cal is feeding off his players' energy, and this team, by all indications, is really going to embrace the-, the journey and continue to get better, which I think they did last night. And I want to ask you this, Jack. I've been anxious to get your take on this. Like, Duke played pretty well last night. I mean, Trevor Keels played out of his mind. Uh, Ben Carroll had his game. What do you think about Duke's ceiling 
in Kentucky's ceiling because it seemed like Duke was closer to theirs last night than Kentucky. Well, I think you got – I think that's kind of what was the most interesting part of it is the freshman for Duke played like you'd expect the veteran-led team that Kentucky brings to the table, uh, the incoming transfers, the, you know, the six-year seniors that they have in Davion Mintz and uh, fifth-year senior graduate transfer and, and uh, Kellen Grady, those type of guys – I thought they played with so much more poise and patience and comfort. And uh, I thought it was interesting talking to Paolo after the game. Uh, he said, you kind of get lost in the lights. You kind of get lost in the moment where you kind of forget where you are. You forget that you're Paolo Bancaro, the number one prospect in America, you know, potential number one draft pick, playing at Madison Square Garden. Like You forget that and you just kind of get lost in the game and lost in that moment. And I think that there were times that Kentucky flat out, uh, I guess, they got lost in the moment in a negative way. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that's why why he's one of the best players in the country because he can do that in a positive way. And I think you could look at Ty Ty Washington and the struggles that he had maybe getting going. And I think um, the, the moment magnified maybe did impact him. And a lot of it, I think, is just how the game gets started for freshmen especially. But I thought Seth Greenberg had a good distinction yesterday too, Jack, when he talked about um, you know how experienced this Kentucky team was. And he immediately stopped and said, but not with Coach Cal. So we have to keep that in mind. Like you do have Kellen Grady and some of these players that have played a long time. But still with this unit together, it's very fresh. And it was game one. Yeah, I think that, that Seth Greenberg quote was – the exactly what I was looking for. They are experienced. You know, UK has put up the numbers a million times about the total number of minutes that they played. Right. Thirteen thousand minutes of, of college basketball production. Those 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 numbers. Cal or UK has done a really good job putting those numbers out. But not all with Coach Cal. Not with his system. Not with his offense. Not together with these other pieces. Uh, and I thought it was kind of telling that the Duke players talked about uh, how impactful it was to have uh, Coach K with them mm-hmm. the entire summer from, the, from yep. the minute they got on campus throughout. There were no weekends gone at Peach Jam. There were no weekends gone at, at uh, you know, MBPA Top 100 camp and these other evaluation period events. Co- Coach K was with them from the start, so they got to develop that chemistry from day one. And Cal was there a lot, and, and we got a lot of that stuff early on. But I think it's also telling that – I know, like, Kellen Grady showed up a little bit late on campus. Davion Mintz waited until July 1st to make his decision to come back uh, to Kentucky. Oscar Sheboy had his travel issues uh, in terms of getting back to the States, and, and it took him a while. Then when he got back, he had to go into quarantine protocol and all that. So all of the timelines were 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 inconsistent with this team in, in terms of when they got started and all that. And I think – that wasn't the case with Duke. I think they all came in at the same time. Uh, they were there with Coach K from the start. So even with more college basketball experience on Kentucky side of things, I think they had the more cohesive unit with, uh, uh, undoubtedly. And I think that's why – I think their ceilings are quite similar. And I think that's why you could you started seeing that – I thought it was really telling at the start of the second half how it was – uh, trading baskets back and forth. It was it was Duke leads by one, Kentucky leads by one, Duke one, Kentucky one. I mean, it was back and forth over and over and over again. And I think that kind of te- told the story is, like, we, we can hang with these dudes. Like, mm-hmm. th- Kentucky can hang with these guys. It was just there at the end when, you know, Trevor Keels got hot and Paolo kind of, uh, when he came back from his cramps, he, he kind of got rolling again. So 
I, th- I definitely think it was just that Duke was ready for this moment. And I, I wrote a column on KSR as kind of a, like, there are fans online that were talking about this being 2022.0 and Ty Ty Washington's the next BJ yeah. Boston. Why does he have a Porsche? And, yeah, th- <laughs> stupid takes like that. And it's like, dude, this is the first game of the season. Ty Ty Washington played phenomenally in, in the exhibition games. And I've never – I mean, that was the first time we've ever seen him in a competitive setting play poorly. Mm-hmm. Like – you need to understand that that was the outlier, not the norm. Right. So when we start getting that continuity, and and, and I think these next couple weeks, these the, the with the, when the competition lowers a little bit, I think this is going to be a really impactful time for guys like Ty Ty, for guys like Kellen Grady, even that Cal has talked about him, you know, struggling with adjustments uh, to to the pace of the SEC and and this level of basketball. I think these next couple weeks with these kind of bunny. Uh, teams on the schedule are going to really allow Kentucky to find that footing and, and kind of close that gap with Duke uh, that they clearly showed Tuesday night that there there is a gap, and I think it's fair to admit uh, that they're further along, probably more upper-end talent than can what Kentucky has, but uh, I, I think they're right there. My, my expectations are, are still very, very high with this team. I, I'm still overly optimistic about the long-term success of this of this team. Hearing um, Duke's players talk about Coach K's presence over the summer left a big impression on me. Like, I've read that, I've heard that, but hearing them talk about it and just what it meant, I just they just kept saying, like, he was there for us. He was there the whole time. And not just the tra- – like, don't just think of it as the travel part of recruiting, but, I mean, there's a whole agenda. That's a, that's a beast that never sleeps. So him being disconnected from that, and I'm sure he's kind of taking his – um, player relationships to the next level, knowing that it's kind of his last go around with it. So I did put a lot of stock into that after hearing them talk that I probably wouldn't have beforehand. But ultimately, like you said, they they had some studs out there, and I think I think you did see a little bit of um, kind of the major complaint uh, if you have one about um, Coach Calipari over the last few years is just missing on those top guys, and we saw what it means to have a top five guy, you know, one of the number one kids that can. 6'10", take you off the dribble. He's patient. He's smooth. So that kid is league ready. I People that have been listening to this show from the start, I, I remember vividly watching Paolo at Peach Jam three years ago, two years ago. And I remember I had a conversation with, now that he's gone, I don't think that this, this matters anymore. I had a conversation with Joel Justice, and he said, Paolo would start on this team right now. Yep. I saw him as a junior and remember saying I, I genuinely thought he could be a conference, you know, all-team conference type player in any league when he was a junior. I was I was really surprised he didn't reclass and do all that because he is just a – he's a man-child. And specifically his patience too, Jack. Like he's emotional on the floor, but he kind of keeps a stone face. He knows what he's going to do. He has great footwork. He doesn't force too much. So he he's a special player for sure, and it's you just don't find many guys with his size that that have his ability. And I know Cal made the comment after the game about you know Keon just not being able to guard him, which was why he played 11 less minutes than any other starters. And let's give him a little bit of a pass, and move on on that because I don't think there's many people. J- Jacob Toppin might have guarded him a little better, but ultimately that guy's gonna he's gonna get his on anybody in college basketball. The, the thing about Paolo that's so freakish and and disturbing really as a Kentucky fan is when he was that moment junior year of high school when we saw him play it was all post oriented he was like PJ Washington level of of college readiness where he was just so polished inside that that like that's where he got his and, and 
I saw him as that type of player. It was like, oh, man, he's just going to eat down low. I mean, he's just a monster. And then all this other stuff that you see with his game right now, all that's just extra that he's developed over the last year and a half, two years. I think that's the most intriguing part of his game is the stuff that you saw Tuesday night, he didn't even have in his bag back then because back then he was, like I said, like a P.J. Washington a, a polished, great footwork that le- that left shoulder jump hook was just absolute cash. And like he floated a little bit, uh, you know, left elbow elbow jumper, baseline jumper, kind of that Nick Richards comfort as the 15 foot jump shot range. That's where he thrived. But this whole inside out, bringing the ball up the floor and 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 like uh, driving from the perimeter and hitting hitting open jump shots from the top of the key. Those things that he's added to his game. I mean, he's got a whole new bag of tricks every time I see him play, and it's just it's it makes me just kind of quite worried about about the future of college basketball this the rest of this season, and then especially when he gets to the league because I think he's going to take the league by storm. I, I think he he's clearly the number one pick uh, in, in the draft. And I know everybody kind of likes Chet Holmgren and all that, but there's not a player that I've seen in a very long time that plays like like Paolo. And Kentucky just unfortunately had the task of taking him on. Uh, day one, game one. Well, it's probably a lot easier for him, too, when you play with the Mark Williams. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you pair them two together, and that's a problem. And I think Trevor Keel's probably – I mean, he p- kind of played out of his mind last night. So, pairing those three together, it's tough when they play well. But, again, Kentucky was right there. And I think one thing that's being dismissed, like getting back to the game itself, was that, like, Kentucky was one gritty run away from making that game really interesting. And, again, it was like some Mark Williams-type tip balls in the paint that um you know contributed some of those seven turnovers for Xavier Wheeler so they're right there but they'll they'll need to be some stuff that they can tighten up and one thing that worries me and I want to throw this one back to you Jack is that we talked about this a lot before if Kentucky lost this game it's going to be kind of hard to get up for these next six or seven games until we kind of get into that Notre Dame Ohio State Louisville stretch so even if they whack some folks I think there'll still be a, a certain you know portion of pessimism I guess just because of the opponent I think that's what we dealt with that 2018 year when when Duke just absolutely destroyed Kentucky in the same event where the games after that, everybody had that same reaction. Well, it doesn't matter that you can beat VMI. It doesn't matter that you can beat you know all these other schools. I, I, don't, even, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but those type of schools, they play Duke to start it off and everybody gets excited and then the next couple games. And that year was a little bit different because that was the year they had the Bahamas trip and they played really well down there. So they, we got a feel for that team beforehand, but I, I think it would have been a lot different if Kentucky got smoked on Tuesday. Oh night. yeah, absolutely. I think they're still, it was UK played just enough, just well enough to keep that intrigue there, and you saw Ty Ty struggle. Like you could, if Kentucky had given it their all and everybody played well, and Duke was just a head better than than what Kentucky had to offer, and you, then you got blown out. That's where I think the real pessimists would yeah. would, would come out and go. I mean, we played okay, and we and and we still got blown out. But with the way they played, the way they fought back, it, and you, you talk about that run. I wrote down the kind of timeline of events. Kentucky led 48-47 with 16.33 to go in the game. Duke goes on a 22-6 run to turn that one-point deficit into a 15-point lead in seven minutes. Uh, and then from there, UK goes on a on an 11-0 run of their own to cut it to four uh, with six minutes to go. Yeah, so right, exactly. So six minutes to go 
it's a four-point game. That's anybody's ball game. That's, I want to say there was a couple turnovers there that could have – I mean, they were a hairline away from maybe being a catch and score. And then, again, you're talking about maybe even tying that game up. And, again, I kind of go back to, like, who – you know, the, the ceiling of each team. And Duke, they're good. They're really, really good. But Kentucky was – I mean, they were right there. And we're talking, you know – Oscar was in foul trouble early, and, and you did not get what you're expecting to get from Ty Ty. And if what you have to get ultimately, if this team's going to go on a deep run and win, you know, 25 plus games or whatever, I think he'll have to be a lot better. So, any rational person, I think, walks away from that game despite losing. Um, still feeling like Kentucky is good enough to ultimately, I think, even be a, even be a Final Four team. If they're not there now, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm curious. What are you optimistic about going into this next stretch of games? What what were your biggest takeaways that made you go, okay, this is why Kentucky can still be a, a contender this year? What what did you watch last night that made you go, that right there? That's that's why Kentucky's going to still be at the top of the pack in the SEC, contend, make a, a deep run of the tournament. Um, just kind of where that optimism stems from. I might answer very differently than a lot of people would, but I'll take it back to Friday night's exhibition game and the fact that Kentucky would have suffered a historically bad loss had it not been for Wheeler, period. If he's not in there doing what he was doing, ball hawking, um, they lose that game to Miles College, which is an absolutely insane thing to say. And I remember saying after that game, Jack, I think I told you or somebody because they had made a comment, you know, about 2018, oh, Kentucky can't get blown out, and I said – it's hard for me to imagine this team getting blown out with him on the floor just because of how he's surprised me so much. I knew he was going to bring some kind of like, a you know, being a catalyst on offense, bringing some playmaking ability, but just his knack for the game and his, his leadership on the court and anybody was going to struggle with Trevor Keels last night. But I think um, you're not going to run into as many guards that are as strong as him. So he's going to just – I basically feel bad for whoever's going to try to bring the ball up the floor against him. Um, you know, throughout this season. So optimism-wise, he's a lot better than I thought. So I think, you know, get Ty Ty playing up to the level that we assume he will, that's one hell of a backcourt that I really kind of wasn't expecting that could be one of or maybe the best in the SEC. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think you look at Oscar as a dude that I thought would be limited to an 8-8 eight and eight type guy, 10-10 mm -hmm. type guy. He'll get his double-doubles, but it'll be – 10 and 10, 12 and 10. Yeah, he's not going to 17 and, and 19 on right. Duke. Right. Right. When he goes out there and the way he patrolled the paint and just gobbled up every single loose rebound, it was it was unbelievable. And, and I think it, it was really telling that uh, Coach K, who called him like Shuby or something. Shuby. Something, she, yeah. yeah so something. It was like, oh, God. Yeah. No, suit. Uh, Subi, Subi, yeah. yeah. It was just like, oh god, they just butchered it. Um, <laughs> but the way he said, "Holy mackerel, that guy is just unbelievable." And uh, uh, Paolo said the same thing that you know he he went out there and 19 rebounds, just absolutely controlled the glass. He was way way better than I ever gave him credit for. I saw, I I mean, you guys have heard me on the show. I I think it was a massive mistake that Kentucky didn't go after. Kofi Coburn harder, and I thought that there was a way that those two could play oh, together. Oh, Jack, I haven't even uh, thought about it, man. How how would that game have went last night if Kentucky had Kofi? My, I hadn't thought about it. That would have been a slugfest. Well, that's kind of my thing. Kentucky right now doesn't have a guy that you could just throw the ball to and just 
let him go to work. Anybody. I mean, perimeter, front court, anybody. Oscar's a cleanup guy at heart, and I, I, I still think maybe if you have to stagger the minutes some way, but I still think that they could have played together. And I don't want to go, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. This is not a real thing. We got to deal with what we did in this. But I did have that thought during the game. We're just like, damn, man, like that. You, you telling me that 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 matchup between Kofi and and Mark Williams. I mean, or I mean, I think that matchup would have been fantastic. If Oscar gets his foul trouble early, I mean, I, I think there's a way that you get. I mean, shoot, what did Oscar play? Um, how many minutes did he have? I'm pulling it up right now. Oscar played 29, 29 minutes. minutes. Uh, you could, uh, I mean, why could he have not? Why could he not get his 27, 28 minutes a game? And then Damian gets two minutes. Lance Ware plays nine minutes. Uh, Keon Brooks didn't play very well. I mean, there there are a lot of minutes to be had elsewhere. Jacob Toppin played twenty three. You could probably drop him to twenty. There's there were minutes to be had to make everybody involved happy. So I did have that thought where I was just like, man, I, I know you don't want to kill people's hearts, and I know that's the thing <laughs> that Coach Cal talks about over and over again. But it's like, damn. They could have had the player of the year. But on the flip side, center. though, Jack, you know, because if the true reason was tempo, style of play type thing, maybe last night's game wasn't the best example. And on the pessimism side, you asked me the optimism. When you look at last night's stats and kind of break those down, Duke shooting one for 13 from three. Mark Williams was really only on the floor 18 minutes. Duke had the cramping issues. So you could kind of flip it the other way, too, and say, you know, if you can't beat Duke when they're shooting one for 13 from three, um, you know, what does like look like holistically throughout the entire year. But now that we can see Kofi's not here, you have that 10 to 12, 15-minute stretch. And who's that going to be? Is it going to be Lance? Is it going to be Damian Collins? Which everybody saw how that went. We knew he was going to uh, – Damian Collins, I mean, was going to get a shot. He was going to get his couple-minute run. And, man, he I don't, I don't <laughs> think he was ready for that environment. He was pretty wide-eyed and shaky out there. So they're going to have to figure out who it is between those guys is it going to be Bryce Hopkins Damian Collins Lance Ware like I wish Bryce would get another chance personally I think he's I think he's he's extremely athletic and he's also a little polished he's kind of like in between those two if you ask me because uh you know Damian Collins is freak athleticism but he's not really you know a skilled player so that could be big for Kentucky if they can just get you know 10 to 12 minutes out of one of those three guys that's going to be good quality production minutes that could offset a little bit the front court worries that um, everyone has, and they're they're justified at this point. And here's the deal: Kentucky will not play another front court like right. what Duke has. There's not another Paolo Bancaro in the world, and there's sure as hell not another Mark Williams and Theo John mm-hmm. sitting next to said Paolo. Pa- that is a one one of one front court in, in college basketball, and I think that's something that that's the worst. And I know that. Oscar's not going to put up 17 and 19 every single game, so there's a little adjustment there. But the competition level will never be as as high as it was last night. So I think that's something that we also need to, to realize that that's if that's the worst it's going to be all season long, I'll take my chances. Man, was Oscar not born to play in the SEC too? How many years have we had teams that were just kind of like, I just don't know if they're going to be able to deal with the athleticism and the physicality of these conference games night in and night out against these SEC athletes. And Oscar is just going to eat and clean up and keep Kentucky in so many games and provide that physical presence. And foul trouble is going to be a thing all year. Just kind of take it for what it is. And, again, you have to hope one of those um, three people, the other three players, 
can kind of step in. And then Keon Brooks is kind of the best version of himself, which he wasn't either. So I, I feel like he's kind of not been talked about as much, but they're going to need a lot more from him too. Like I said, um, Oscar plays 29 minutes, Wheeler 38, Kellen Grady 31, Ty Ty 28, and then Keon starts and only plays 17. So he's got to find his groove. And I personally don't think it needs to be hanging out on the perimeter. I think he needs to get in there, use his athleticism, get easy baskets. And he needs to play more like a junkyard dog, I feel like, um, over this seven-game stretch preparing for the big games because that's what Kentucky needs. They really need that to complement Oscar. That's my issue. That I love Keon. I think he's a fantastic piece. And I, I again, I, I was hard on him a little bit last night, but again, he was guarding Paolo. Like everybody in America is going to struggle against Paolo. Jacob Toppin came in. He did a little bit better, as you said, but still struggled in his own right. But my issue with Keon wasn't even necessarily on the defensive end. It was that he was just so damn passive on the offensive end and, and, like you said, floated on the perimeter, and, and yeah, he knocked down that three, and I think that kind of got him going where it was kind of that fiery. But but when he was at his best was when he started attacking the rim. He had that one little um, kind of drop step floater bank shot on, on that right elbow. Like he, he hit that one. He had a couple, and he started doing the fadeaway stuff from, from the, that right elbow, I believe, um, which, which – isn't his game, but there there were a lot of good things that he was doing, and he started kind of ramping up there in the second half. But uh, but I, I, that was kind of my biggest frustration with him was like, man, why why are you so passive? Go attack! Like this, it felt like he bought into the Paolo hype too, and it was like bit, he yeah. he knew how good Paolo. Everybody was talking about him and you know the draft stuff, and that it felt like he just wasn't ready for that moment. And I I. I just expected more out of him. I got to be totally honest. Well, aside from Damian Collins, who we know is kind of seemingly a longer-term project now, Keon Brooks was the only player besides Oscar that could have went in there and rebounded with their bigs. I mean, I've taken some incredible pictures of him where I mean, he can leap so high. He's a pogo stick. So he and he did a few times. He went in there and had some impressive rebounds a few times. But in a game like that, that's what they need him doing. They don't necessarily need him you know, finessing it up. Like, they need him to go in there and mix it up and then, like you said, kind of use his offensive package to get buckets. Um, so, Keon, I think, is, is a guy, with along with Ty Ty, that equally, you know, they got to get these guys going. That's That'll lead to our uh, final little segment here because we got to get to the airport and get ourselves out of New little York City. A little LaGuardia action. <laughs> yeah, get out of the city here. Uh, so, what are the let's, – let's say – the three things that you need to see in this next stretch of games against weaker competition that will kind of get you that, you know, kind of like they've right, righted the ship, things are good, things are all, all fine and dandy. What are kind of your, your three things that you're, you need to see from this group to, to kind of get, get that optimistic, to leave the bad taste out of your mouth from Tuesday night and kind of get that uh, momentum moving forward? My first one will probably be what everyone would say, and it's get Ty Ty going. I think that's critically important. Again, you're not, you're not going on a deep run in March without his services and him playing up to his potential. So that's number one. That was an easy one. Secondly, I still say Kentucky shot the ball pretty well last night, but I still got to say shot making. I mean, I think they were 37% from the field, so – we took 16 more shots than Duke, still lost the game. So 
Um, that's something to me. I still want to see them shoot the ball well. I know Kellen Grady's, you know, kind of proven he can do that. Maybe we'll bring in C.J. Frederick, see what's going on. But I still want to see shot making. I think that especially after last year, I might say that every time for the next five seasons. Like, I just want to see this team continue to kind of get easy offense. Maybe that's another way to say it because – that's, you know, with the front court struggles and stuff we talked about. Got to get easy offense. And the last one for me, um, gotta, I want to see them out-rebound every team they play up until about Notre Dame. If there's any, you know, if we start like Waskers in foul trouble, three out of these four games, so, you know, Lance is getting killed on the boards and they're like, I want to see Kentucky out-rebound all these teams, all these weaker teams, regardless of how they do it, and preferably actually by committee. Yeah, I, I agree. I I think if I were going to go one by one, I would. I think one of Lance Ware and Damian Collins has to step up, and, and I think they need to use this time as crucial, crucial development time uh, and, and just exposure time. I, I think you got to give Lance his his playing time. You got to give Damian his playing time. I, I think that this is going to be really crucial to see what they are uh, and what they can provide. Is Lance Ware ever going to be more than a? Uh, you know, a, a third guy off the bench. I think he's center. on thin ice with the fans right now, too. He's in a weird spot with the fans being in year two. I think I'd love to see him have some positive results coming up. Yeah, you, you need Damien to get his feet wet. Last night was not the setting for him, but you need to give him some opportunities to to know what he is. What is Damian Collins? You've got to figure that out. But I, I think Lance Ware, too. I mean, I, I think those two guys, you can't just rely on Oscar all season long. He will get in foul trouble. That will be an issue. That's something that, that Kentucky has to figure out a, a backup plan in case that, that were the, to be the case. Ty uh, Ty is my other is my other big one. Ty Ty is a dude that finished three of fourteen, zero for two from three, uh, three assists, three rebounds, no fouls, one one steal, but I mean really didn't affect the game in a positive way at, at all Tuesday night. And I think that's something that really needs to get fixed. I think uh, Cal put it in his head early, and I don't want to blame Cal. Um, he said that he made some coaching mistakes and and uh, he owned up to that and you know I, I it's the first game of the season you got to figure out what what you have in your team but Ty Ty was a guy that really was forcing his shot and, and Cal told him to force his shot a little bit and try to find his groove and very clearly was not going to find his groove by the end of the game and he kind of shot UK out out of it there for for that stretch um, so that's that's definitely I got to see him and, and get back to that form that we've seen him play over and over again. Um, man, my third, I, you know, I kind of think my third, it's going to be Kellen Grady. I think Kellen is a guy that I think he did a really great job as a catch and shoot specialist uh, on Tuesday night, and, and he, I mean, the three threes that he hit were they were big shots, and and they kind of kept. Uh, Kept, he kept Kentucky in it and and kept them from from letting go of the rope that Cal talks about all the time. Mm-hmm. That he hit some of those those clutch shots that really kept it in that four point five points de- uh, deficit where that you could really uh, stay in there. I need to see Kellen be more than just a catch and shoot guy. I, I think that he showed so much at Davidson as a, as a primary ball handler and just a shot creator. And, and I don't think that we got to see any of that on Tuesday night. And I think Kentucky's going to need to need him to be that guy at some point this season. If if Savier's going to have a ton of turnovers one game, Ty Ty's going to go cold that game, and they need that third piece, Davion Mintz. You know, I want to I want to add. Davion in that same role too because I didn't see enough from Davion as well I I, one of those two needs to be the spark plug gonna go get you some buckets when you need some buckets type guy and 
I, Kellen got made the shots, but I, I need to see some more shot creation from him and, and uh, penetration ability and, and finishing. He had that that kind of floater across the lane where uh, kind of that five Jack's six imitating footer. it in the hotel. Yeah. Like oh, uh. I know. I'm trying to I'm trying to emulate it, but I like that and it, it, it he missed. But that those type of shots, I need to see him kind of. Uh, explore his game a little bit more as a Wildcat and, and Davion the same way. Uh, I think role is going to be an issue for Davion this year. Yeah, I, I got a comment real quick just on your last point because you, you made some good ones. Like, Kellen Grady's bag has to be deeper than what we've seen, yeah. to your point. If you drop 2,000 points in Division One, like, he's got more in his bag. So, I don't know if it's just him not being comfortable to use it yet, if it's scheme, but I, that was a great point because I think that he does. Well, I'd, I'd love to see his bag and what's in it because 2,000-point score, it's there. And then I don't really know how to put it, Jack, but being down there, man, I, there's something about Davion. His body language, like, he, he just kind of seems a little checked out. He would be the one person that I would – wouldn't probably say what showed that level of engagement and I don't really know his personality a ton obviously we didn't get a lot of access last year but as a guy who has kind of been the man for a long time um even last year you know I would say he's probably the best playmaker on the team I don't know if he's um, happy with his role or what's going on but I, I think he made two good points with those two players because they could really um you know, add a great compliment to to the backcourt I, I think it was really telling talking to Davion last week I asked him because Secret is out. When when Kentucky signed him, it was to be the complimentary piece to Devin Askew. He was supposed to be the the transitional piece for uh, for Devin as he developed throughout the season, and they were preparing for this big March run, and thought that by the end of the year and end of SEC play and going into postseason play, that that's when Devin was going to be ready to take off, and they needed. Davion to be that that placeholder until then that he was going to be the transitional piece and then when he's not that the spark plug kind of plug and play scoring piece off the bench right uh, that Jamal Crawford Lou Williams type role where he's going to come in and he's going to be that that bucket getter and I thought this season when uh, you know we saw a little bit of it uh, the first uh, K- Kentucky Wesleyan I thought it was it, he found that role again. That, that was the perfect role for him because you had Savier starting, you had Ty Ty starting. You could bring him in when Kellen's struggling, or if if you know somebody just needs a breather, you know he's going to come in and he's going to bang, 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 give you a couple quick buckets and and kind of keep that momentum flowing. So there's not that drop off between first unit and second unit. He was supposed to be that that leader of that second unit. And man, I I'm telling you, I. It was really weird. His reaction was like, well, yeah, because I asked him, you know, this feels like the role that you were supposed to have. And, and he was like, well, I'm more than that. Yeah. I'm not just a – I'm not just that's a plug-and-play guy. That's the vibe I'm guy. getting. He said, I'm not, I'm not just a plug-and-play guy. He was like, I know that's kind of the perception that people have of me, but I know what I'm capable of doing, and I know who I can be as a player. You know, started getting throwing those phrasings around that I know I'm more than this. I'm, you know, and it was kind of like, ooh, and I think when you see him, like you said, when you saw him down on the floor and, and has that same, I don't know if it's a body language thing or what, but it, it's telling, I think. I, I think he's not comfortable with his role, and I think that he needs to figure out what that role is. And I think Cal needs to help help him find it because he's clearly a valuable piece, but how? In my opinion, he's just going to have to accept the fact that he is going to have those games. when he, he might even lead the team in scoring, I think. But they're going to be few and far between. I don't think it's going to be every game. And he's going to probably have to accept that. But what we've seen from him, his experience throughout a long, long season, I'll be surprised if there's not a game or two that he wins for Kentucky. Um, But he's going to have to be okay with that not being every night. 
when you have 12 scholarship players, <laughs> it's going to happen. Dante's Allen's not going to be happy. C.J. Frederick's yep. not going to be happy. We didn't even get into the times. Allen thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> – it's going to happen. Uh, all right, let's get the heck out of here. Drew, this was a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, glad you made the trip up here and we were able to do this. We had a, a good little time in New York City. Wish we went home with a victory, but we'll have to settle for a strong performance and things to look forward to uh, as the season moves forward. Drew, I appreciate you. And uh, why don't you tell fans where uh, they can find your work? Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a blast. Um, you can check me out on Twitter at BigBlueDrew33. Um, check out the Kentucky Dad Pod. And then always look at a Sea of Blue. We do a lot of stuff over there, so you can check out a Sea of Blue. But thanks, Jack. Always fun. Pumped to make my KSR podcast debut. And um, I know you guys have a great following, do good stuff. So appreciate you too, man. Well, I appreciate it. It was a, a lot of fun. Um, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We'll see you Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.